Hey, uh, just to say too, because we always we want to be open to the, any kind of spontaneous things the Holy Spirit wants to do. If you're here this morning and you've thought about baptism before and you felt like maybe God's been uh, hounding you a little bit, I'm not saying that God snaps at your heels, but sometimes he does. We're still willing to baptize anybody today and we'll do it at the end of the service. So if that would be you, um, I think Dan's going to be sitting over there wrapped in the light blue towel. <laughs> And uh, feel free during the service to get up and just go talk to him if you want to find out. Because hey, he actually has some extra clothes he bought from Walmart, really stylish kind of stuff, <laughs> extra towels. So seriously, though, if that's something that uh, there's times in Scripture where people were baptized, literally kind of, why, oh, why not right now? Um, so there may be some of you here that I would say to you, why not right now? Um, why not right now? So um, anyway, and if you're just going to go to the bathroom and not want to get baptized, just go around Dan. So anyway. <laughs> Hey, we're going to talk this morning, and it kind of fits into the baptism, about the idea of defining moments, because there's all kinds of defining moments uh, we have in our lives, and I'm talking about the defining moments that you could count on one or two hands in your life. I'm not talking about having a defining moment every day. Sometimes we feel like our lives are so dramatic they are that way, but here's some defining moments. See if you can figure what they are. They're pretty easy. Friday, April 12th, 1861, Charleston, South Carolina, 4.30 a.m. What happened? The shot heard around the world, Fort Sumner, uh, where actually that was the 150th anniversary of that. That was a defining moment. It was a defining moment. It's kind of like life was never going to be the same again. The whole future is different now because the Civil War started. All right. Next one. Tuesday, June 6, 1944, Normandy, France, 6.30 a.m. That was D-Day. Life was never the same. Not just for those men and women, but for the whole world. Defining moment. The past was past. There's something holding. The whole future is now new because a divining moment happened. A decision was made. All right, next one. Easy Tuesday, September 11, 2001, New York, New York, 8:46 a.m. It's when the first plane hit the World Trade Center. Defining moment. Defining moment for our culture. Defining moment for a lot of individuals in that situation because uh, a choice was made in a real place, in a real time, in real life. All right, not some hypothetical thing, and that happened. All right, next one. Wednesday, November 2nd, 1983, Wheaton, Illinois, 8.30 p.m. You, none of you will know this. My wife doesn't even know this. It's about me, all right? I'm, not that it's all about me, but... <laughs> because the reality is we have individual defining moments, not just cultural defining moments. This was a Wednesday night. I was at a church service, one of these special services. I was in college. And I remember an invitation was given. I was already a Christian. I'd been baptized when I was eight years old. But I remember it was, a, it was an invitation to say to Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I remember the song they were playing. It was all, uh, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him. But, you know, I remember where I was sitting at that church. I remember walking down the aisle. And there's nothing special about walking down the aisle, but there's something about our bodies engaging in the decision that we remember. And I remembered that. It was about 8.30 at night, and I remembered that. I actually reread it from my journal this week, just to kind of remind myself of what was going on, where I was saying to Jesus, hey, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. All right? Next one. This is mine, too. Saturday, August 8, 1992, Akron, Ohio, at 5 p.m. All right? This is when Kathy and I got married. Defining moment. Life's never the same. All right? The, f- the future is totally different. Sunday, J- July 9th, 2000, Denver, Colorado, sometime in the afternoon. It's the first time I actually verbalized to somebody, I think God wants me to start a new church in Bloomington. 
And I remember calling my wife that afternoon, and we had a fight in the phone because she was like, you want to do what? <laughs> All right. But it was a defining moment for me. Changed the whole course of my life. And that's why I'm here today. Because of a real time and a real place and a real defining moment kind of situation. All right. Last one. Sunday, September 10th, 2000, Bloomington, Indiana, 3.54 p.m. Anybody. This is not about me. It's about all of us. That's the time that Miles Brand announced he was firing Bobby Knight. All right? A defining moment that we are still living in the consequences of. All right? But it was a defining moment. And people say it was a defining moment of Miles Brand's whole life. But it's definitely a defining moment for all of us that we are still, I was say, suffering the consequences of. But that might be too strong. But then again, it might not be too strong. Anyway. But we all understand defining moments. And we're going to talk, we've been talking the last few weeks, go to the next slide here, the next few, last few weeks about a situation where God's people had been set free from Egypt, Moses had led them out of Egypt, they'd been in slavery for 400 years, they spent some time kind of transversing the Sinai Peninsula after a year and a half or so, God's ready to let them into the promised land, remember we talked about being, sometimes there's a good kind of stuck where it took them a while to get there because God was holding them and hitting the pause button for really good reasons because he wanted their things and their character and to grow. And there were times there was a really bad stuck because they got really close up to the yellow dot where they're going you know, to cross the river. And remember they sent the, Moses sent 12 spies in there. I called them the 12 studs. And 10 of them said, no, we can't do it. Two of them said, yeah, we can, but ten, oh, no, it's too... Too big people, too big a people. We can't do it. We can't do it. Even though God said, this is, this, is what you've, this is where you're going. This is your destiny. This is the promise I promised you to your great, 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 great father Abraham years ago. This is what I took you out of Egypt for. This is the promise I've given you, an abundant life and the full kind of life. And these 10, kind, these ten guys say, can't do it. And they, and they get all the people rattle up and everybody's like, no, no, we can't, we can't. And they start complaining and giving into fear. And Joshua and Caleb are like, no, but we can. We can. Moses is like, we can. And then God throws a big yellow penalty flag. Bad stuck, because this is the next 40 years. You're all going to wander in the wilderness. And nobody 20 years old or older is going to make it into the promised land. You're going to wander. And sometimes we're stuck in our lives because of choices we've made. Sometimes we're stuck in our lives spiritually because of choices we made. And, we, and that was a defining moment, but it was a really bad defining moment because they made a choice that sent them on a whole downward spiral. Now, let's go to the next slide. That was from the book of Numbers. Now we're going to kind of zero in. This is the book of Joshua now, so we're going after the 40 years has passed. They're done wandering. It's time. And like I said last week, you kind of wonder if somebody had an ongoing record of who, who was left to die. Okay. There's two more guys who are around then. And once they die, we're good to go. Okay. Are they sick? No. Oh, bummer. Okay. You know, whatever. So you kind of wonder if somebody, but they, so, if they were, the Bible says they were at a place called the Acacia Grove. This is in modern day Israel. This is where it is. That's the Dead Sea. You see the Jordan River kind of flowing down. Jericho, which uh, is actually still there today in a form, uh, and that's where they were going to cross the river. This was when they were going to make that defining moment. The promise was going to be fulfilled. They were going to cross the river. The promise that God had told Abraham hundreds of years before, and then he had confirmed through 
Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all kinds of men and women throughout those hundreds of years, now it was going to happen. So they were at a place called the Acacia Grove, and Moses had died. And there's a couple defining moments that happen now as they cross over, all right? Because it's a big deal now. They've been wandering for 40 years, wondering if this day was ever going to come. And again, sometimes we've been wandering for all kinds of reasons and wondering if our defining moment's ever going to come. So here's what happens. Joshua chapter 1. Go to the next slide there. God says to Joshua, says the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he had already told Joshua, hey, you're the leader, you're my guy, Moses is dead, you're the one I'm going to entrust with leading the people. Moses, my servant, is dead, therefore the time has come. All right, defining moments ready to happen. God says, time has come. Let me stop on that phrase right there. Maybe not those exact words, but my guess is some of you may have heard God saying to you lately, you know, the, the time's come. It's time for you to kind of take a step. Maybe it is a step of confirming publicly that you're a follower of Jesus in baptism. Maybe it's a step of walking away from a whole bunch of stuff, kind of like we heard in the first testimony. You know, this, is, this life's not working. And maybe you've been sensing God, the Holy Spirit, kind of whispering to you, or maybe even shouting to you in a whisper, hey, the time's come. You're at a fork in the road. Time's come. So he says to Moses, the, the, Joshua, the time's come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Dri- Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. So it's like, wow, defining moment. The time has come to cross. And, and the Jordan River is just an ordinary river. It's not like the mighty Mississippi. It's actually something that's in some places is no wider than from this wall to that wall. But it was a big deal because they're crossing into a whole new boundary but they're crossing into the land of promise. And actually, the next chapter, chapter 2, it says, Moses says, uh, Joshua tells him, hey, tell the people that tomorrow we're going to make that move. Tomorrow we're going to make that move. So very, again, very, it's a real time in real place. We don't know what, I don't know what day of the week it was. I don't know what time it was. They probably didn't know what time it was. They didn't have watches then. But some, you know, going to think, hey, we're, tomorrow, we're moving tomorrow. And these people are thinking, yeah, this has been 40 years in the waking. It probably felt almost anticlimactic, kind of like about time. Tomorrow, we're going to move tomorrow. And then the next morning, the announcement to the king, hey, today, today's the day. And that's when, if you remember the story, and if you don't, it's found in Joshua 1 and 2 and 3. Joshua, uh, the priests were told, this is what God told Joshua to tell the priests, they go first with the Ark of the Covenant, which was the, you know, the, the, Think about this yay high, yay wide, and this wide that Indiana Jones was looking for. That doesn't really exist anymore. Anyway, it was the representation, and it, and it held the presence of God. The priests were to carry that. They were to step into the Jordan River, and once they stepped in the river, they were supposed to stop. People were supposed to stay a ways back because they, they understood you don't get close to the Ark of the Covenant because it represented a, a nearness to God that was actually fearful. They were to stop, and once they stopped the waters kind of flowed back, kind of like with the Red Sea, and they crossed through on dry ground. Um, I would imagine, if you or I were one of that group, and say if if we were like 16 years old when God gave the penalty, and then we knew for the last 40 years we've been wandering in the wilderness, wondering if this day ever would come, I could imagine that was somewhat emotional. 
kind of like, this is, the, this, is, this is what we've been told since we were a child that God wanted his people to have. Since I was a child, as a slave in Egypt, and then we're in the desert, and then our parents did a lot of stupid things, and now we're penalized for that, and now I'm 56 or whatever year, and this is the promise. I mean, I imagine there was some degree of weeping, some degree of joy, some degree of... But it was a defining moment. And it's not, it's not, it's not coincidental that the defining moment for God's people in the Old Testament often had to do with path, passing through water. All right? it's, not in, it's, not, it's not inconsequential. But the passing through water in a real time, in a real place, in a real defining moment with the real bodies moving and being identified with that was a significant part of their spiritual life and is a essential part of our spiritual lives. Because see, that life following Jesus is not a life that you live out in your head. There are physical ways in which we manifest that because our bodies are, we're spiritual beings in bodies. We're not like two separate things. So it's like when sometimes when we worship and people are clapping their hands or raising their hands, again, not as a symbol of their spirituality, but there's something going on where our bodies are part of what's going on spiritually. Our bodies reflect sometimes what's going on in our hearts. When people kneel, there's something going on about your body informing your spirit when you have some kind of a bodily movement in that sense. You, you, something happens. I talked about when I was a young child, and then again when I was in college, going going forward in a church service. How many of you grew up in a church where you, you had to go forward to indicate you wanted to be saved or be baptized or whatever? Yeah, so you know, that, that was the phrase, was you, you know, Billy Graham Crusades, you know, the song would play, Just As I Am, I Surrender All, whatever, and you would go forward, and you might think, well, why'd you have to go forward? That's kind of embarrassing. But I remember as a seven-year-old kid, I, I, was, I was bawling my eyes out. Not because I was afraid, because I knew something was going on. But there was something about the physical movement that etched in my own heart the spiritual decision I was making. You see what I'm saying? It's not like God's just trying to go through formalities. He knows how we remember things. He knows how we function. And there's something about physical movements or physical kind of activities that kind of stamp something under your spirit. And I remember at age 7, and I remember again at age 20. One, when I was a college senior, going forward again, this time to say, uh, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. So some of you, there may be a defining moment that's waiting for you. And maybe some of you are resisting that defining moment. It's like I said with baptism. It's not about guilt or manipulation or going through a symbol. But it's a defining moment that Jesus actually said to us, this is what we should do. No, it wasn't, it's not an optional thing Jesus gave to anybody who would be a serious follower of his. Some of you maybe have that defining moment in front of you you've never acknowledged to anybody or you haven't made that decision yet that I am going to follow Jesus. And that maybe there's a defining moment waiting for you that you need to respond to. And again, spiritual life is not lived in your head. It's lived in your full body. Some of you may have a defining moment where you maybe have been a Christian for a number of years, but you really sense God is really giving a real shift in the course because you followed Jesus, but somewhat half-heartedly or maybe 90%edly, and Jesus is saying, I want it all now. I want it all. Maybe it has to do with what Jesus is saying to you about your career, about your money, about your relationships. 
But some of you may have had a nagging, defining moment in your head that you're just kind of wondering if that's God or not. And I want you to at least consider maybe it really is. Because they had waited for years, and then the defining moment was very significant. All right. Now what's interesting in this story is this defining moment was followed by another defining moment that were coupled together. Go to the next one. It's a little odd in a sense, for especially those of us who are men. At that time, they crossed, all right? At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. Okay, guys, you can just exhale right now. We're not there. That's not us, all right? I don't think I've ever mentioned the word circumcision in church before, but so. But it's interesting because, in, 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 if, again, if you know nothing about Christianity, first of all, baptism is going to throw you because that seems kind of weird. Now that I've talked about circumcision and flint knives, you're thinking, let me out of this nut house, you know. But let's think about it. Back in Genesis, when God first called Abraham, he told Abraham, I make this covenant with you. I will, I'll be your friend. You'll be my friend. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And I will always lead you to a life of promise. And then he said, Abraham, as a sign of this covenant to you, with you, I want all of the males, not just of your family and of your families to come, but even your servants, anybody, I want them to be circumcised, which is having the foreskin of the male genitalia cut off. All right, and sometimes, even today, it's still done. It's practiced quite a bit in terms of medical. I'm not sure what the percentages are, but a lot of people are circumcised at birth or shortly thereafter and things like that, males. And, um, you know, it's still a practice. There's some debate about why, you know, is it a health thing or whatever. We don't know exactly what God's motive was in doing it, except he wanted his people to stand apart at the most sensitive place of our human bodies for men, all right? But they hadn't, they hadn't done this in the wilderness for the 40 years. They had been in Egypt, but they hadn't done it for the 40 years in the wilderness. And it was some kind of maybe symbol of something that why it wasn't being done. Now God says, now make flint and eyes and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. All right? Puts a whole new meaning on defining moment. And again, it's like... Again, if you and I were God, if we're making a committee of being God, I think last week one of Pastor Dan's questions was if we were a God and what extra commandments would we add? But if we were God and trying to say, what can we have as a symbol of a sign for people who are my followers? This would be the last one we'd choose, especially if the committee was made up of men. All right? So what, what is, where's God going with this? But he tells Joshua, do this because it's a symbol again of the covenant. And in ways, then, the New Testament, you'll see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the, the big debate was if somebody's a convert to Christianity and they're not Jewish, they weren't circumcised on the eighth day as every Jewish boy was, do these new Gentiles converts have to be circumcised as males? And the decision was, no, they don't. They don't. That was an old covenant kind of thing. But what, what seems to replace that in the New Testament is... The, the symbol of baptism, because you still bear on your body some mark. So baptism becomes, in some forms, a New Testament equivalent of circumcision, because it was a physical, bodily kind of action that etches something into your soul about a decision you made to be a friend of God and a follower of Jesus. 
So this defining moment for those people was something they followed because they knew this is what God asked them to do. And again, why that, we don't know. God knows. God knows why that was. And, and just like somebody, again, if, if you knew nothing about Christianity or even about religion in general, because a lot of religions will have circumcision or baptism, it is kind of odd. I mean, a lot of things God asks us to do is odd. Talk about weird meter. This is weird meter right here. This is really, really weird meter. But there's something about the defining moment that God's asking us to step. And then, and then in the New Testament, it comes full circle back in, in uh, Colossians. Go to the next slide here. This is Paul writing to the New Testament believers in the city of Colossae. And this is after it's already been decided that new Greek converts don't have to be circumcised. I think Jewish people, Jewish Christians still did and maybe still do to this day for religious reasons. This is what Paul says. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. All right, kind of in quotes. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature in the most sensitive part of our being, which is our heart. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. All right, that's why you go down, you go up. Buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. All right? Baptized into death, raised to new life. That's the, that's the symbolism there. Baptized into death, raised to new life. Then it goes on. Go to the next one. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. All right? Now, when somebody comes out of the water, whether it's Abby or Senna or any, it's not like now they're never going to sin again. Uh, but there's something that goes on. It's symbolic, but I always tell people it's symbolic. But something in the invisible world transpired here this morning. We don't fully understand it. Something changes. All right? God, uh, your sinful nature will not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, this, I, I love this part of the passage. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now think about it this way. When we, when we, not only when we worship, because something's going on there, but in this act of worship that just happened with baptism, God disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he brings and he shames the invisible reality of Satan and his demons because the cross held victory. So baptism is this sense of, it's a sealing of a victory. And not that we'll never sin again, but we know what? Our sins are never held against us again. All right? And so Paul makes this clear sense of, you know, it was a defining moment for you. Because from now on, yes, you're going to sin. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. But you now know those are covered, and there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The accusing assault of Satan, saying, you're no good, you're not really a Christian, you're not a good person, look what you did. Still there, but now you have a the authority and the means by which uh, to defend yourself because you defend yourself by the blood of Jesus. Because it's covered. Those things are covered. So baptism, why, why it's not magical, it's incredibly symbolic and incredibly invisible reality in terms of something going on. 
because we now become the kind of people who have the record of the charges against us are canceled. Charges dropped. Canceled, because Christ took them on the cross. It's like I said a couple weeks ago. There's times, and I'll close with this, there's times in my life early on where I felt like, and I shared some of my struggles in different areas of my life, where I felt like after I sinned, I was expecting, because I thought God was a big stick holder, I was expecting the big stick to whack me. Okay, I need to feel bad about this, so something needs to happen. And God was the big stick holder. And then through some kind of transformation that God finally worked in my mind, I realized the stick of penalty of sin still, still is swung. And it's not because God's an angry God. It's because he's just and he's holy. But the force of that penalty falls on Christ in the cross. He bore our wrath. He bore the wrath of God for our sins on the cross. So we think it's coming at us, and it, the wrath of God then rests on Jesus on the cross. And then my response, and our response, he starts being, well, oh, how he loves us. Why, why would he do this for me? I'll follow this guy anywhere. Because he, he rescued me from the curse of the charges against me. That's, what we, that's why we follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus because we want to become good moral people who vote Republican. We follow Jesus because he has wiped away guilt and shame, which is an absolute true part of the human condition whether we try to mask over it or not, he wiped away guilt and shame and in his place put life and joy and contentment and power. That's why we follow Jesus. So we can then be the kind of people who can help other people understand what it means to be a friend of God and why wouldn't you want to be a friend of God if this is the kind of life he wants to give you. So again, I'll just close with this. Um, Maybe your defining moment is the choice to follow Jesus in baptism. Maybe it is this morning. Maybe you need more time to think about it, and we can do the hot tub anytime we want to. So, but maybe now's the time for some of you. Maybe now's the time for some of you to make that initial step of saying, I- I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And if that's you and you make that decision, please talk to a friend you've come with this morning, talk to Dan, talk to myself, make that acknowledgement to somebody. But for the rest of us who have been followers of Jesus, maybe been baptized, there may be another defining moment God's asking of you. And be willing to respond to that. And that's my question. Is God inviting you into a defining moment? Maybe there's something he's wanting you to do that will change your life in a life-giving way. All right, let me pray. God, we, uh, we're grateful um, for the defining moments, not just you show us in the Bible, but that you invite us into in our lives. And um, would you give us grace, courage, and strength to uh, walk into the defining moments you place in front of us because we want to be fully alive men and women and we know that's what you want from us and you want us to be those kind of people and we thank you for the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that opened up that whole new and living way to live a life of joy and contentment and victory and we're grateful Jesus that you did that on our behalf and we ask this all in Christ's name Amen How we finish at Exodus every Sunday is we take